day before they turn out my electricity. We park our cars in the garage. We were afraid they're going to be repoed. Uh, the first two years, I had I slept. I did not sleep at all. And uh, and then I finally realized, you know, I got to be responsible with my money, and because I've got now I've got a wife and a child to take care of, and uh, and that was the turning point for me. I uh, I was scared to death. I I was afraid of failure. I could not fail. So we we he and I both worked until seven eight o'clock at night. I worked on the weekends. And we just kept uh, uh, working the business, working the business, working the business, growing the business. And then we started going into other areas and uh, or other states and, and adding more uh, office personnel, off, adding more salespeople. And uh, I would say uh, in the fifth year, I thought we this might just work. And Welcome millionaires and future millionaires. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, the show where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their portfolio allocation. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 286. Lots of things happening, man. We've seen all sorts of commotion, I guess I would call it, with the banking industry this last week. In fact, when this was all going on, I was uh, on some business and some, yeah, woke up to various text streams and other other, uh, area codes and zip codes and time zones and was like, what in the heck is going on? So... At any rate, hopefully uh, we'll see some some stabilization a little bit more in the coming weeks as we move on. It looks like that we're going to see some resolve into what happens with specifically Silicon Valley Bank and, and a couple of the others uh, seem to be well on their way. So definitely something to pay close attention to. I know there's all sorts of you know fears about the insolvency of banks and the government and federal government and all sorts of things. It's just part of the, the economic cycle. I mean, I think all of us to some degree expected some sort of you know, consequences for pumping a lot of, you know, I guess back up even to what happened with the original, you know, COVID, you know, shutting everything down and then pumping a lot of money into the economy and then inflation and, you know, federal requirements and then raising interest rates, you know, significantly in such a short amount of time to try to curb the inflation and all the different levers that have been pulled in in such a short amount of time. I think that at some point there was going to be some sort of issues uh, that, that kind of has trans- started transpired. Hopefully, we'll we'll see in the short term if there's going to be any more, and if there are, hopefully, it's not too devastating, you know, to to us and the economy in, in general. I know there's lots of people that are affected by fallout of Silicon Valley Bank. I've talked to several friends who are directly affected, you know, that either ran companies or had deposits there. Um, you know, and, and all of them have, have spoke very positive about the situation for the most part, but uh, definitely a little bit of a a, a you know, weekend of fear, if you will, uh, and, and week of fear, I guess. So anyway, definitely we'll uh, be paying close attention to that. This week, had my wife record this episode with me a little bit of, a little while ago. And uh, so yeah, you're going to hear her voice on there, which will be interesting. I wouldn't expect her to be a permanent co-host on the podcast, but we've done a couple together and this will be one of the first ones that's uh, been been recorded and produced. So I thought I'd have her jump on and and do the intro with me a little bit and give a little kind of behind the scenes, especially because last last week, I actually had the opportunity to meet with and and hang out with two of our listeners. And one of those she was a part of when we were up in uh, Canada. So welcome, Stace. Thanks for uh, joining (laughs) today. Hey, you know, I've been in the background here for about five years cheering you on. 
and uh, I'm happy to to help be a part of this. So it was fun to be on. Um, I'll be totally honest. My, <laughs> my first interview, this interview in particular, I was really nervous at the beginning. So it took me a little bit to feel comfortable popping in with questions. So be gentle. Also, relax. I'm not going to be on every episode. I'm just here to offer a different perspective and maybe ask some questions that some listeners may or may not uh, have, right? So I don't have the robust finance and accounting background. Um, so sometimes it's nice to have someone who uh, is maybe more of a lay person when it comes to, obviously, I've been around it a lot, but uh, I don't have, have a expert training <laughs> in, in all of this. So, uh, so maybe I'll ask the questions that some of you, uh, wherever you are on your financial journey might be, would think to ask, but maybe isn't asked in the interview or maybe hasn't been asked in, in, in interviews past. So anyway, just here to offer a different perspective. And uh, I'm happy to come along whenever, whenever you'd like me to pop in. And just so our listeners know, by way of training, my wife is a dietitian. She has a master's degree in nutrition and a registered dietitian. And she's actually more of a professional as it relates to media and telecommunications, everything else than I am. So she's got some of that formal training, <laughs> which I've lent on her multiple times to, to, to help with various things in the background over the fi- last five plus years, but especially as it relates to website things and all sorts of things that I just, you know, was learning on the fly that she knew how to do. So she's been involved in this, you know, more or less for, for, for just as long, just hasn't made any, I guess, formal appearance. But <laughs> at any rate, I thought it would be interesting today to discuss a little bit just because we have had a lot of people, you know, want to know and get to know the host a little bit better. And you and I did do an episode back with Clark, I think it was episode 161. But just give our listeners a little bit of insight into, you know, how from your perspective, how, you know, finances and wealth creation and all that kind of stuff fit into your life as, as, as we've chosen and you've chosen to spend a majority of your time now with, with raising our three kids. Oh gosh, it's been quite the journey. Um, you know, when we got married, we had very little money to our names. I think I think I brought in like a thousand dollars into the marriage. I was in my dietetic internship or just finishing it when we got married. And so that whole 10 months before that, I had just been living off of my savings from the year working prior to that after I finished undergrad. So I didn't come into the marriage with much. I think you used most, most of your wealth for uh, the down payment on our condo that we were living in at the time that I moved into after we got married. So we were really starting from Don't nothing. Don't forget your ring. I bought that Okay, too. the ring. <laughs> and the honeymoon. <laughs> the ring, the honeymoon. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> we were pretty depleted anyway, but you know, it started, it started from the bottom. Now we're here, right? I mean, we just, I, we didn't spend a lot of money for a long time. I remember coworkers of mine wanting to go get their nails done and them inviting me and I would just kind of sheepishly turn them down because it's not something that we were spending money on. So it took a long time for us to really spend any money on anything extra. I still don't get my nails done very often, (laughs) maybe like twice a year. But you know, it was a lot of no's for a long time so that we could give the yeses to the things in the life that we really wanted. So I think along the way, we always would invest the money in travel because that's memory building for us. And that's kind of one of our love languages is adventure and and activities that way. But um, yeah, we we did a lot of no's for a long time to be able to be where we are now. And even now, it's not like, you know, open the floodgates and buy whatever you want. 
I know for me, I got in trouble for Black Friday this last November. So <laughs> I know that the floodgates are not open. It wasn't even that crazy. Okay. I promise. Um, but anyway, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's always being mindful of the future um, and keeping your eye on the prize, investing the money on the moments that matter and the memories that matter to you. And, you know, and, and we, along the way, in terms of like, you know, we, we got married, we had literally pretty much no furniture, you know, we would hold off and not buy a table. So until we could buy the table that we would be able to last, that uh, we would be able to keep for, you know, several years, we still have the first table that we bought when we first got married. And this is, you know, nine years old now. So anyway, so, you know, we've, we've tried to be really mindful with how we've spent our money over the years and um, continue to do so. Although I feel like we're able to be more generous now in places that at least to me are important, able to, I'm more comfortable giving and uh, we're in a position to do that a little bit more now too. So yeah, a little bit of my, of my perspective there. And, um, and yes, as you said, I've, I've had a pretty strong background in nutrition communications and media, which I've kind of let off of that a little bit the last couple of years as we now have three kids, five and under. Yep. Our young, our oldest just turned five last two weeks ago. Yeah. It's pretty busy at home. And I, I, I do work enough to maintain you know, my skills and uh, credentials and whatnot. But, um, but yeah, mostly at home right now, trying to raise these three Bambinos to be good humans. And that takes a lot of investment. So, and a lot of my, my time. Yeah. And I, I was reminded of something. First of all, I got to go back. We didn't get in trouble for Black Friday shopping. We just had to go revisit, you know, our, we don't really budget just for full disclosure. In fact, listen, I got pulled into an unexpected budgeted meeting and that's called <laughs> getting in trouble. Okay. <laughs> You call it what you want. Yeah. Well, we don't really budget. I just try to watch our expenses more or less, but I just don't go through things with a fine-tuned comb. And if it gets to the point where it's just a little bit out of the comfort zone, then we usually have a discussion. So anyway. The comfort zone was $300, to be clear. (laughs) At one store (laughs) that I wanted to know about the details. Anyway, I was reminded of something that happened back when when you were mentioning that we didn't really have a lot of money. And it's kind of, I don't know if you remember this, but it's, I guess it's kind of funny to share now. But I bought the ring, I bought the condo, obviously before we got married and all that. And that was a good significant chunk of money that I had saved from college and in the first few months that I'd been working. And then I bought our, t- our airline tickets to go on our honeymoon. And I bought them off some like discount site. And I remember showing up to the airport and they like couldn't find a reservation. I was like, oh man, I've never done this, but I really... We, we ended up going to the Middle East on our honeymoon. And I don't remember if you know, the lady was like, I, I probably looked like a, a popsicle, red popsicle or crab or something when she was like, we can't find your thing. I'm like thinking I just got scammed. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what am I going to do? Like these airlines, like I, I, we got to go on our honeymoon this week. It's the only week I have off work. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And luckily somehow by some miracle, they found the tickets and it was like, okay, you're getting on these flights and here you go. I was like, oh man. And then I was worried that the ones on the way back weren't going to work. I'm like, man, I hope this thing all works. And I didn't get some big scam for my honeymoon because that would be like just devastating right now. <laughs> oh man. Well, we made it. I actually don't even remember that. So you, you smooth sailed through that. But I do remember in reference to something uh, something be read when we were first meeting was uh, you spilling ketchup on yourself on our first date. How about that? That was pretty bad. That was pretty bad. At any rate, today we've got one of, and I guess I probably shouldn't choose favorite interviews, but this interview that we did together with 
with James is just absolutely phenomenal. We've had a lot of people request to get people that are, you know, at retirement age, and he is one of those. And not only is he one of those, he has one of the most incredible stories, you know, of perseverance, of, you know, working all sorts of different odd jobs through his teens and 20s to finally getting to the point where he started this business in his 30s and basically scaled that business for for quite a while before he sold it to one of his employees and self-financed that sale and really has taken a good chunk of his change uh, from that sale and and, and profits along the way and put it into to single family homes and, and and real estate, a couple commercial properties and and whatnot. So his net worth is twenty nine point five million. Probably is around thirty ish, really realistically. I mean, depending on how you value the properties, but uh, twenty nine point five for the episode, and uh, about ninety percent of that is in real estate at this point, with the remaining being in his four hundred one k and some cash. So phenomenal episode. I mean, he literally has been pizza maker. He's worked in the oil field. He's been a janitor. He's been in sales. All sorts of different jobs, uh, you know, as I mentioned, through his teens and 20s to uh, get to the uh, the point that he is now. So going to be a great episode with James. Last week, we had Michelle, she's a realtor, net worth of $1.7 million. If you're interested in that, go check out that episode. That's 285 Also, if you're interested in being in uh, being on the show, send us an email, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Appreciate all those who are continuing to email in. This is what makes the show so great is your participation along with uh, ourselves as we interview. I wanted to read a couple uh, reviews we got in recently. If you haven't left us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, please go ahead and do so. Helps us continue to grow the show. This comes from Vi Waghorn. It says, latest episode was really inspiring. Roger sounds like the type of dad I would love to sit down and pick his brain. Loads of great advice. Would love to hear more from guests like him. Another one come in from Opulence Through Intentionality. Always look forward to listening to the latest podcast on Monday morning commute to work. Great to see so many different people building wealth in different ways. I've been listening for about two and a half years. Excited to see y'all hit show number 300. So are we. Appreciate those reviews. Trying to get to uh, get ourselves to a thousand by the end of the year here. So love to uh, get some more uh, reviews from y'all. We're just uh, just over seven, almost seven fifty, I think now. So without any further delay, let's get into the episode with James. James, you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to now? I'm 66 years old. I've uh, been self-employed since I was 33 years old. Uh, prior to that, uh, not much of anything. And uh, uh, since I've got two uh, beautiful kids, adults now, a uh, beautiful wife, um, and I'm kind of semi-retired. I still dabble in real estate a little bit, uh, but not too much, maybe 10 hours a week. As when I, and that's all I work on my business. Awesome. And what is your net worth today? Uh, $29.5 million. Holy cow. And how is that broken up? Mostly real estate. Uh, it's probably 92% real estate, 8% uh, in my 401k. Okay. And the, the 401k is invested in what kind of stocks, bonds, mutual funds, index funds? How is that divided up? Mostly index fund. Uh, got a little Tesla in there. But the rest of it, I let my financial planner manage. And the uh, only thing I ask him to do is buy me some Tesla, and he, he manages everything else. But most of it's in, uh, 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 in index fund 500. When did you start that 401k? Uh, 33, when I, when I started my business. And 
we offered a 401k to the employees and of course to ourselves. And uh, that's that's when it, when it all started. So what 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 took place from the time, let's just say high school to the time you were 33? Uh, not much. I, uh, I was probably like a lot of young young people. I just got a young man. I just kind of I worked in the oil field. I worked on a laundry truck. I was a janitor. Um, just kind of uh, then I got into sales and uh, sales is what really uh took off for me i couldn't i I did not know what my uh uh likes and or what my what i was good at you know and when i get into sales i thought i'm pretty good at this and so my sales career i think is uh the reason i have the the success that i have had to uh today do you remember what your net worth was at 33 when you started your business (laughs) it's probably a negative Really? Uh, I just yeah I, I got married uh, at 31. Uh, I had a, a, my wife and I had three year old daughter. She had a three year old daughter that we raised, and uh, I had uh, it, it was probably she had more money than I did, and I don't think it was that much. Maybe five thousand dollars, maybe. But we, we I, I remember back in those days uh, when I when we first got married, I thought, holy smokes, there's a lot of a lot of responsibility here, and uh, and I had no idea how much it cost to uh, to have a family, and uh, so I was running to uh, the water department the day before they could cut off my water. I was running to the electric company to pay day before they talk about electricity, we park our cars in the garage. We were afraid they going to be repoed. Uh, the first two years, I had I slept, I did not sleep at all, and uh, and then I finally realized, you know, I got to be responsible with my money, and because I've got now I've got a wife and a child to take care of, and uh, and that was the turning point for me. It's a turning point for a lot of us, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it scared it scared the hell out of me. Right, you got other heartbeats that are dependent on you a little bit. I so say, every night I'd wake up sweating, thinking, "How am I going to do this? How am I going <laughs> to?" But, but 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 I just worked my way out of it. We worked two or three jobs, and and uh, until until I started my own business, uh, we just she and I both worked really really hard. Yeah. So fast forward, you're 33. You start this business. What business do you start, and and kind of what led you to get to that point? Well, I was a salesman. And a good one. And I worked for a, a supplier, and I had a, 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 cust- a customer base, and I, I became a, a real good friends with most of them. And uh, I was talking to one of my customers one day and, and pitched a business idea to him, and he said, "Let's do it." And I said, "I can't do that." I said, "I've got a I've got a new baby at home. I've just been married. I've got a mortgage. I got debt." And he said, "Let's just take it slow and easy." Now he was my mentor. He was ten years older than me. At that time, he was self employed for twenty five years. He said, "James, let's." take it slow and easy and uh, and we'll see where it goes and it took off and then uh, you know within a couple of years I replaced the income that you know I left and uh, then it just took off from there so so walk us through what those initial I guess maybe the first three to five years what did that look like how did you kind of get the tra- trajectory going in the way that you did to to kind of land and we'll kind of go through this journey I guess maybe decade by decade so what does it look like in your 30s I guess those first seven years um I would say the uh, after we start. You mean after we started the company? Yeah. Okay. Well, it started off slow, and but we just kept growing and growing. Um, I I um, I was scared to death. I I was afraid of failure. I could not fail. So we we he and I both worked until seven eight o'clock at night. I worked on the weekends, and we just kept uh, uh, working the business, working the business, working the business, growing the business, and then we started going into, into other areas and uh, or other states and and adding more uh, office personnel off adding more salespeople and uh, I would say uh, in the fifth year I thought we this might just work and 
uh, and we started providing uh, uh, a benefit package for the employees. And uh, and then by the tenth year, we knew that we we had a, a strong business, and I, I could relax a little bit. But I, I think it took ten years for I really felt like okay, I'm not going to have to do some of the things I've did before, and I've got a I've got a good business that that can continue to grow. So you turn forty, I guess it said you took a ten about ten years. So you're in your early forties. What kind of what what started taking place in your forties that allowed you to let the foot off the gas and kind of get that that turbine that flywheel if you will rolling for yourself i think it was just the growth of the business we i didn't do any investing outside the business my total focus was on the business so um we just kept putting our time energy and money into the business and just and uh watched it grow i i don't think there was anything else in my 40s that I, I focused on other other than that. Did you take a pay cut in those first initial years when you started it? The first year I did, but it wasn't much. And it took off pretty quickly. And in the second year, I uh, replaced my salary that I was making with the other company, that one, the other company employed me. And then after that, it kept doubling and doubling and doubling. And I thought, holy smokes, this is really, this, this is a lot of fun. And, uh, and, it, and that just motivated us to do more and more and more. And, and that was in what industry again? It was in the convenience store industry. There was a, uh, we, we formed the first buying co-op uh, for convenience stores. And what it did is, it put together all the independent convenience store owners into an association, which there hadn't been one before uh, in the United States. You know, you have your farmers co-op and you have your ag co-op, you have your restaurant associations, but there wasn't one for the independent convenience store owners. And uh, he and I started that. And uh, when I sold the business 20 years later, we had uh, 4,500 convenience stores in our association. I had about 25 employees. We were in six states and, and we were we were a big player in that market at that time. When you when you entered that business, you did have a essentially a leg up, though. You knew that industry, right? You're right. I did know it from a sales side of it because I was uh, my job prior to that was selling to the large convenience store chains. So I called on uh, Texaco, and back back in those days, the oil companies were the big convenience store. Uh, uh, owners. So I got them Texaco, FINA, Mobile, um, <clears throat> those folks. And they're the ones that at, back then competed against 7-Eleven. And uh, so I, I knew what kind of deals, when you had that kind of uh, volume or that many stores, I knew from uh, my business what type of deals they were getting, that the independents were getting nothing. In fact, the independents were being charged the most, the highest price, uh, while the chains, because they had the buying power, uh, were paying the less and uh, paying less uh, for the product. So what we did is group these independents together. I'd walk around and I sold the first 200, so I'd go into these store owners and say, hey, I've just got a dream for you. I've got two suppliers that are going to support me right now. If you uh, if you, if you you hang with me, I'm going to add this, these lines and this line and milk and ice and chips and electricity and cigarettes and all these other things, just like I knew the large companies were getting. But you'll just have to trust me. And they did. And so I signed up the first 200 within a year, and then I hired somebody uh, in another state or, excuse me, yeah, another city to sign up more. Then we just started adding salesmen in different cities. And then as I was doing that, my partner was adding suppliers. Uh, so we were, you know, we had a program with all the major suppliers uh, that service convenience stores. Interesting. Now, I'm a little bit more familiar with with kind of the the hardware side of things. I spent a lot of a lot of my time in that world and the co-ops that that we deal with. In some cases, they have to, or I guess they don't have to, but it is part of their operating agreement to pay back essentially some of their profits to the 
shareholders or owners or members. Was that the case for you as well? Absolutely. Yeah, we always we wanted to make sure that all the store owners saw the benefits. And uh, so we, the monies we received from the vendors, we shared those uh, great, uh, quite a bit of that uh, with our with our partners. And that's how we grew our business. Uh, they saw that, hey, I'm now I'm getting this this product cheaper and I'm getting a rebate, a check from the association us uh, on a quarterly basis. This is a good deal. And then we got into the printing business. We started printing all of their point of sale, their posters, their, their banners outside the buildings. And uh, so we became a printing company, also a newsletter company. And, and then of course, then we negotiated all their, uh, we, we were there negotiating to arm for all the suppliers they, they bought from. Awesome. So when did you buy your first rental property? I bought my first one in 2009. Uh, my wife and I went out. And I remember we made, we made multiple. First, first but prior to that, I, I read every book I could find at Barnes & Noble and some of the other bookstores, everything I could find about rental homes. I knew nothing about it. And I probably read 15, 20 books. And then we, then we, well, then we bought, we tried to buy our first one. We kept getting shut down by now I know it's Blackstone and these other big, you know, big uh, uh, corporations. And we finally got one. And we said, ah, okay. And then we bought another one. Then we bought another one. Then we bought another one. We just kept buying rental homes through the years. Was that first rental you bought, was that after you sold your business or before? Oh, before. Before? Yeah, it was, it was, yeah it was quite a bit before. Yeah, we, uh, I, I just, uh, I always liked the real estate business. I, uh, I felt it was easy. It's not as complicated as, you know, you just have the, you have the tenant. He gets a year's lease. If you, if you, if you do your back end uh, work properly by the screening uh, credit checks, check their employment, making sure that they can afford uh, to live at that house. If you do that properly, there's very little little trouble. I, I've had only three evictions in, what is this now, 20, uh, 29, 19, 25 years, 24 years, uh, uh, and that's it. And uh, so we've, 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 had, we've got great tenants, and uh, we take really good care of them, and, and they stay with us. How did you find that first deal? It was through a real estate agent. I heard about her. She was recommended to me. And I heard about her, and uh, she was great. Uh, she taught me a lot. And I, I probably bought ten my first 10 homes from her. And uh, then as I started adding more homes, I thought, well, I, I think I could do this myself. So I hired a couple of folks to uh, uh, run. Well, first of all, I hired one of my one of my buddies and uh, uh, ask him to get uh, his real estate license, which he did. Ask him to get his home inspection license, which he did. And then, uh, he, and he also has a finance degree. So he did all that. He, he found the homes, he inspected the homes, uh, and he managed the homes. And I have another fellow that works for me now uh, that's the guy that gets the calls in the middle of the night. You know, my toilet's broken or my water's leaking or things like that. And he also shows the homes and they're just two really, really good folks to work with. And, and they run 99% of the business for me. Wow. So you get this first deal. Did you finance it or pay cash? I financed the first two and, okay. uh, and you know, you gotta, you know, you gotta put 20%, 25% down. Then after that, um, I just started paying cash for them. As we, as, as my other business continued to grow, my wife and I maintained our, our lifestyle. We didn't buy a big house or buy, you know, fancy cars Back then, uh, we just maintained, and every every extra dollar we had, we bought real estate, and we did that for years and years and years. So you're buying single-family homes during this period of time? Yes, uh, du mostly duplexes and single-family homes. Uh, we tried to find homes in a good school zone, 
there's this three three or four bedrooms, two car garage uh, in a safe area, and that's 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 really all there is to it. It's that simple. And were these homes located near where you lived, or were they across the country somewhere? Or how did you how did you decide geographically where you were going to go? We decided again from all those books I read. Uh, we decided to stay within a thirty or forty miles of the office. That way, we had the same vendors. So we had we 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 went through a bunch of plumbers and a bunch of electricians and a bunch of rehab folks until we found the good ones in in our area, and those are the ones where we started using exclusively, and they could service all of our homes, and they're still the ones we use today. I think we still use the same AC guy. I know we use the same plumber. Well, and I know we use the same electrician that we we've been using for 10, 15 years. James, so when you're when you're starting to build this real estate portfolio, you're buying single families, duplexes, you're buying them in cash. I mean, are these hundred thousand dollar homes, two hundred thousand dollar homes? Like, what price point were you looking for? Was there a cash to rent ratio or a, a rent to price ratio that you were looking at, or or what kind of the economics that that you were searching for as you were looking for these rentals? Well, back in uh, 2009, 10, 11, and 12, you know, during the, I guess they call it, they call it the Great Recession. I don't know what they call it now, but you know, the market yeah. crash, the whole crash, and uh, uh, we were paying a hundred thousand, a hundred ten thousand. Those homes today are worth two seventy-five, two fifty. So as the market became healthier, we were paying more for the homes, but there's still a, a large, a big demand for homes. And what it was really all we did is uh, we, as long as I could a net seven percent. Uh, on each home, that was that was the benchmark. So we'd go out there and see, you know, my my employee, he he go out there and uh, inspect the house, do the comparables on MLS, and then he'd come to me and say, James, uh, this house we can pay this much for it. We give this much rent for it, and we give you this much return on your money. And I would just say, buy it. Probably a third of the houses I never saw because I had such trust in him and still do that I knew what he was uh, uh, presenting to me uh, would be a good investment for me. And when again, did you hire someone to help manage your properties? It was around 2017, 16, somewhere in that range. And prior to that point, you were managing them all personally? No, uh, we used a property management company. We actually had two of them. Uh, we, we divided them up with uh, two different companies. Okay. And then eventually landed on someone you kind of brought in-house to manage for you? That's 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 right. Uh, it actually is a friend of mine and we were talking one day and, and, uh, and he mentioned that he used to manage apartments and, uh, we, and, and we talked some more. He didn't know I was looking for somebody and we talked some more. And then I finally offered him the job. I said, would you like to uh, be my property manager and, and, uh, take care of my real estate? And he said he would. And he's, he's been here ever since. It's been, been a wonderful job. Oh, that's great. It's great when it's a good relationship there. How many did you have before you hired him on to help you? I think it was 15, 15, 15 to 20, around that range. And we now have, how many do you have? Uh, we have 47 uh, rental single-family rental homes. Wow. So, James, at that point, you owned all of them outright? There are no loans on them when you hired that that individual to help you manage? That's correct. Okay. And as you were starting to scale this business, were you reinvesting all of those profits that came in back into more rentals? Yes. Was there ever a point that you did to start to increase lifestyle as your income and these rentals were cash flowing significantly? Or has it been just a compounded growth as you know, time year after year, decade after decade now, given the, I've seen, I guess it's not multiple decades, I guess it's been 14 years, 15 years that, that you've seen this play out. But did you start to increase lifestyle over, over time or keep it all the same all the way until now? 
No, we did. Uh, we'd buy nicer cars. Uh, we'd go on nicer vacations. Uh, we had a, a, a neat little lake house on a, on a, a lake uh, west of uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, not not a whole lot, you know. But um, but we, you know, we 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 have we have, we started uh, you know doing those kind of things. Do your friends and family know of your wealth? Uh, a couple of my friends do. Family, maybe I, I, they know we do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it you know that kind of thing and we have a beautiful home in florida and beautiful home in in, uh in texas so i i don't know if they know that we're worth this much but they know we're we're well online law is the internet's top destination for free legal information for consumers and small businesses their nationwide attorney directory makes it easy to find the right attorney near you for your situation fine laws legal forms and services allow you to create an estate plan affordably and from the comfort of your own home it is the home of the Don't Judge Me podcast, the show about the law in real life. Fine Laws Don't Judge Me has a lot of opinions, jokes, insightful guests, and in-depth discussions about hot topics in the law. What they don't have is a lot of pretension of corporate pretension or corporate oversight. The hosts are lawyers and writers at Fine Law, primary online destination for all things legal. They hope you have as much fun listening as we have had as they had fun making it. Listen now on Apple Podcasts. Get free legal resources anywhere you are. Head to findlaw.com today. That's F-I-N-D-L-A-W.com. At this point, I want to get a little bit into kind of, you know, a lot of our guests we have on the show are are typically, you know, earlier in their, in their journey. And that's why I was so happy when you reached out because you were fitting the mold that a lot of people are wanting to to hear from at this point, you've gotten to essentially you've won the game, right? And you're more on the retirement slide than you are essentially on the growth slide. If somebody may be in their 20s or 30s. What has shifted in terms of priorities, investment strategy, et cetera, for you as you've kind of hit that 60 plus decade for you? You know, it really wasn't that I changed. It was the market changed uh, when, um, when, when when we couldn't buy single family homes anymore because the price prices went up so fast. We shifted to commercial real estate and bought a couple commercial buildings. And then when that got a little soft, then we started buying uh, dollar stores and dollar trees. And so I, I, this investing never stopped. It just shifted uh, to what we felt like uh, uh, would be the best for us. And we also got more conservative. Uh, uh, some of, some of the, the triple net leases, the dollar trees and dollar generals, they don't pay a huge amount of money, but they guarantee it for 15 years plus five five-year renewals with a 10% increase. So at 66 years old, I thought, well, okay, let's do the math here. <laughs> you know, I'll be in my 80s and 90s uh, before they mature, and I think I'll be just fine. And so that just gave us that, that, that was really true mailbox money. Uh, so that was kind of the base of it. I'm, I'm always still looking for opportunities, uh, but not actively. Sometimes they just just present themselves, uh, you know, who people we know, you know, or people, you know, or just things we hear about. But I haven't. I, 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 I guess when I, I think when I turned sixty, when I sold my large business, uh, that's when I really slowed down because I was burnt out. Uh, when, they, when I was talking about the the convenience store business, um, I was really burnt out at sixty. It was it was a very stressful job. I had a wonderful uh, vice president that wanted to buy the company. Uh, he's the one that helped me grow it to what it was when I when I sold it to him, and now he's grown it three or four times more that more than what I uh, sold it to him for. Uh, but so I think that was, I think just getting out of that, I wanted something that's 
wasn't stressful and real estate is not it's for me is 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 really really easy and i don't i don't wake up one time in the middle of the night worrying about this that or the other real estate investment i did at the other business i kind of felt like i was kind of uh when you mentioned a few minutes ago that i'm i'm just an average guy high school education did poorly in high school uh got out of high school didn't really know what direction I want to go into. I knew college wasn't right for me. Um, I kind of wandered around. And like I said earlier, I got in construction and I got into oil fields and I, I mopped floors at the high school and I cooked pizzas at the pizza parlor. And, you know, I just did odd jobs uh, until I found selling. And then the selling uh, was the turning point for me. And that opened all, all, all the doors. And I didn't realize it, but looking back, my father, is he was teaching me how to sell uh, when I was a little kid. We uh, When I'd go to the YMCA, we'd go to the YMCA camp, summer camp. He would give me little peanuts, cans of peanuts that they that they, they gave us. And I'd go around door to door, a little freckle-haired kid, face kid, and knock on the door and say, would you like to buy peanuts for my YMCA camp? Then he said, then he said Lee, why don't you run a paper route? And so I, I was the guy that you see on Dennis the Menace or some of those old, old shows. I had the Stingray bike. I had the papers uh, um, uh, around my body on those, those uh, little, uh, I don't know what they're called, bags. And I'd be throwing papers, and I'd have to collect uh, the money for these papers from these individuals trying to beat me out of three or four dollars you know because they didn't want to pay me and and then later on dad would take me and my brothers and sisters and we would go cut mistletoe out of the trees and uh and then put them in little baggies he'd park in a parking lot and apartment complex and have us knock on doors and sell mistletoe for a dollar bag i enjoyed it all but i didn't realize that he was teaching me these life skills when i was a kid and uh, and, and he's he's a big he's a big part of uh why you know, why I've had the success that I've had. So as a parent raising your own children, did you intentionally turn around and do the same and teaching your, your own daughters those similar life skills? I sure try to. You know, every time we, we set out, we talk about our business and, and the success of it. I had them involved in it uh, for a time. Uh, my son uh, has, 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 uh, is, is independent. Uh, uh, he's, he's self-employed. Uh, my daughter has a pretty neat life that she has. But uh, neither one of them, uh, I, I, I know, you know, it's kind of hard to tell sometimes, but I, I, they've made some good decisions. And I, th- I, I try to. Let me just put it that way. I really tried to, and my wife and I both did, try to sit them down and say, this is, this is why America's great. And there's even a, just an average guy like me uh, can make it if you work hard. And, and that's, uh, that's the message we try to get across to them. I love that. I love that intentional parenting uh, with with purpose. So I I had a question about your net worth and about your sale of your company, your previous one. Would you say that the majority of your net worth has come from the sale of that company that you had uh, around 60 or has been from your real estate investments over time? It was the company uh, for sure. Because uh, I, I had a, made a real life living uh, the last 10 years of the, when I had it. And I had a real nice living, and then when I sold it, of course, then that was that was the that was the icing on the cake. Uh, but during all that time, we were buying real estate. But that was that was where the money came from to buy the real estate. And and you know, any, and if I had a, any message to tell anybody that they're like me, you know, if if you don't if you don't go the college path and you don't have a family that's going to give you a company to run a company, 
I think the only way you can really get ahead is to find a company, try to find something, uh, a company you could start or maybe a company you could partner with uh, and, and grow your wealth that way. James, when you decided to sell your company, you mentioned that you had a, a VP that helped you grow it. How did you go about kind of getting that deal done in the sense that, you know, you, you've been with this person, they've been essentially an employee. Was it as simple as going out and, and getting a bank to, to finance that chunk? Did you self-finance it? Or, you know, how did how did that kind of shake out as you were trying to exit? Great question. What, what I did is I held a note and I gave him an eight-year note uh, I set the interest rate, and uh, and he paid me quarterly, and uh, and so I I took a chance on because I held the note, but also if he defaulted on a payment, I could take the company back. But I knew how good he was, and because I worked with him for six years, and the man was amazing, and he just kept he was he was a, one of the hardest workers I've ever been around, and still is, and uh, so I knew that um, I was going to be okay, and of course he made all his payments, and he paid me off two years early. Uh, which was nice too, but uh, that, I, I self-financed it. So you got paid off in two years from that? No, I, he paid me off two years early. It was an oh, two year years note. early. Okay. Yes. Wow, that's pretty awesome. And yes. and you said he's grown it, and you didn't roll any equity or keep any in it. It was hey, this is the date, this is the valuation, this is the note I'm self-financing, and we're essentially splitting on that day as it, it, I'm no longer an owner. Essentially, I wish I would have, <laughs> but. I, but uh, <laughs> I wish I would have kept a percentage of it because uh, uh, he's done so well with it. But no, I didn't. I, I was at the point where I wanted to completely out of it. Uh, I enjoyed the real estate part of it now. And and uh, and, and and I so I, I just I sold him everything. So he had he, he had the entire business. Well, good for him and good for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it changed his uh, life and it changed my life for you all. That's a that's, that's a great success story. So it, at this point. As you've moved a little bit more towards the, the commercial side of things, is that how you continue, you know, going forward in terms of growing your wealth, or have you decided that hey, I want to enjoy some more of this instead of reinvest, or what's kind of the outlook here for for the next ten years for you? Well, we, the investments we've made in, in the in the the commercial buildings and the in the, the Dollar Generals and Dollar Trees and the others, it's it's more money than my wife and I could. I mean, we could spend it, but it's 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 we don't have to worry about anything. It's, it's, uh, it's more than we can spend. It's, you know, and I, if we have a little leftover at the end of the year, which we usually do, we'll put it into something else, but, uh, we also enjoy giving. We've done some pretty cool things for people. And, uh, so the extra money, you know, we, we do some of that also. What, what kind of giving do you do now? And, and when did that start? Well, we bought cars for people. Uh, we had one person in Florida, uh, that just went through a divorce and, and she lost her car and, we gave her our car, and uh, we had another lady uh, over here that we knew real well, and she couldn't get a mortgage. Uh, and we we financed the house for her with no de- no money down. And so I hold a mortgage on that house, but she got it at a, a good rate, and she was able to get into a house, start building equity, just just things like that. If we see somebody, well, we just uh, we live uh, uh, just outside of Fort Myers. And uh, so, you know, we got hit with a hurricane in October. This is where our home is. And we brought a, I spent $20,000 and had my guys back home in Texas load up a, uh, a U-Haul full of generators and tarps and gloves and duct tape, gas cans. And we brought them down here and gave them all away. And, and that, we, my wife and I, I can't tell you how good that makes us feel uh, to be able to do that. You know, they might like it because 
they got a free generator. We, we like it more because we're able to give it to them. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. Those stories of giving and being in a place that you're able to do that freely and, and, and really give back. That's fantastic. You mentioned that your son is self-employed. Did you help him uh, start his business financially? Uh, he's he's a he's a character. He uh, when uh, when our kids went off to college, we told our daughter. We said uh, we're gonna we're gonna give you a car, a safe car to drive to college and back. And if you graduate in four years, we're gonna give you the car. And she said, okay, great. So she got a nice car. She graduated in four years. We gave her the car. My son, uh, he, his her her, uh, her little brother. He, he, I, we told him the same thing. We said, well, we gave your sister this car. She graduated in four years, which we'll do the same thing for you. And he said, well, Daddy, could you just give me the money? <laughs> I said, well, yeah, if you want the money, I'll just give you the money. You graduate in four years, I'll give you the money that we spent on your your sister's car. Well, I gave him the money. He graduated in four years. I gave the money. He bought a rental home. And, uh, and he still oh, has wow. a rental home. Yeah, so and, uh, and he still drives the old beater that we bought him uh, in in high school, uh, and he's got he's got two rental homes. So he's a little entrepreneur. Uh, he, he's a he's a minimalist. He's just uh, doesn't need much to live on. Uh, he's happy. You know, he's got a free lifestyle. He's a gamer. He, he gets paid. Uh, I guess I don't, I don't really understand that industry, but I think people pay him to watch him play video games. So he gets rent from his homes. He's got he, he, and the money's not really that important to him. Uh, he's got a little income from uh, his homes, rental homes, and uh, and his gaming. And he's he's happy as can be. And well, I'll, let me back up a little bit. He also travels. Uh, he just got back from Bangkok uh, and uh, taught. He went there for nine months and taught English uh, to the the folks there. And he's now he's looking forward. To, he's working toward uh, going to Barcelona. And uh, teach English there. He's teaching himself Spanish, so he could go there and teach English there. Because that's kind of his path. He likes to travel, and he can do. He can work, and he loves kids. Uh, so that's that's kind of his his path right now. How much of that in in his behavior and his decisions do you think is nature versus nurture? I'd say a little of both. I, I, he certainly knows the real estate business because uh, he did work for me for a short period of time. He hated it because he. he doesn't like to be behind a desk and uh, he was doing my accounting. But uh, I think it's a little both. I think it's the value in that. And yeah, I, I think a little both. Do you discuss your net worth and finances with him openly? No, he doesn't ask. If he did, I mean, I did at one time when he was working in the office uh, with me. I would have him help me. You know, one thing my one thing I learned a long, long time ago is to do a, a, a net worth statement. And I started doing that in the, I guess, around 2000, 2001, 2002. And I started doing net worth statements, which I didn't have any net worth. But, uh, well, I had a little bit back then. And uh, so I started doing that and then and then updating it, you know, every year. And it was kind of a game to me. You know, can I can I make more this year and, and than last year? What assets have I accumulated? And what debt have I accumulated? And, and then just, I think that's, uh, I'd recommend that to anybody. It doesn't matter what your net worth is right now. Start it. And uh, and then and then keep it and update it every year. And it kind of gives you, am I going in the right direction or am I not going in the right direction? Yeah, for sure. James, I want to wrap up with some rapid fire questions. What uh, what's the most expensive meal out that you've ever purchased? Oh, probably six hundred dollars. Okay. What about the most expensive pants you've purchased? Oh, maybe fifty dollars. What about the most expensive car or or toy? Uh, oh, car one twenty. Hundred twenty thousand uh, and boat uh, three hundred and twenty five thousand. And did you buy those in cash? Yes. At what age did you become a millionaire? Um, two, uh, I was 30, 37, 36, 37, somewhere in that range there. Okay. And how long did it take to get the second million? About three years. Okay. 
What is the most expensive experience or vacation that you've paid for or taken? Oh, wow. We've taken some nice ones here the last few years. Went to New Zealand, uh, uh, Australia, probably fifty to 75000 Okay. When you, when you travel, do you usually go all out and not worry about a budget at all? Is it just kind of, hey, I want whatever experience, nice hotel, nice accommodations, et cetera? Within reason. You know, I we, we go first class, but, you know, if they're going to charge me $2,000 for a hotel, I'll probably pass on that. Uh, but, you know, we, we want something nice, but that doesn't have to be the nicest um, uh, that that's out there. Yeah, for sure. What do you think about, how do you think about giving and generational wealth? Well, giving, I think we touched on that uh, earlier. We, we see things people we know or um, causes we, we believe in, uh, we'll donate. I would love to, you know, I, I'm going to, we're not going to, we're going to spend some of this money, uh, not all of it, but, um, and we'll pass it on to our kids and hopefully they'll, uh, they'll be wise with their investments. And, and some of them might be in some stuff that they can't, you know, long-term stuff that they you know, can't really spend right away because uh, they're locked in on leases and things like that. But neither neither one of them are interested in, in real estate. So I can see maybe 10 years down the road, we, we liquidate our single family homes and, and maybe put them into more long-term uh, triple net leases, you know, they're 15, 20, 25, 30-year leases. Uh, that way, uh, they won't make the same dumb mistakes I made in my 20s and early 30s and and because uh, they really can't, because they, they'll just get that income coming in, they can't really spend it, and 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 uh, and then hopefully they'll learn from that. Are there any mistakes that you've made along the way that you'd caution others against? Oh God, uh, the um, well, one thing is I, I manage my own uh, stock portfolio, and I've lost probably millions of dollars. In hindsight, uh, when I when I started buying, uh, investing in a 401k, I should have gotten a, f- a financial advisor and I should have let them manage the money. I'm, I'm kind of a gambler. You want, would know from, from my, my, I don't have any debt, but I'm really kind of a gambler when it comes to stocks and, and I shouldn't be. And in hindsight, if I at 33, if I would have said, all right, you manage my money and, uh, and I'll, t- I'll talk to you once a year and we'll look at it. Uh, I would have had so much more money in the stock market than I do today. So I would say that's probably one of the biggest mistakes I've made. Yeah, that's probably one of the biggest ones I can think of right now. If you were to teach a class in college, what would it be? Real estate. I love it. I I, I just love everything about it. I like the tax advantages. And it's a hard asset. Uh, it, it's just a neat, neat business. And that's that's what I'd that's what I'd like to teach if I had an opportunity is, is real estate. Awesome. What is your last words of advice for somebody who's just starting out or, or getting started on their journey? I would, um, well, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but I, I listened to every Zig Ziglar tank that he made back back in the 70s and 80s. And then I started reading business books. I, I'm never much into, I love business books, but I don't really read a lot of other, you know, uh, fiction books or anything like that. But one of my best, one of the guys I really like to read is Jeffrey F. Fox. Uh, he's got uh, probably 10 business books. And most of them are bestsellers. And what I like about his writings is I've got an attention span of a six-year-old. And uh, so they're real short chapters, uh, real easy to, uh, it, but they're right to the point, too, and they're funny. 
they, they, uh, they, there's a lesson in there. There's a little humor in there. And then, uh, uh, and, and, you know, and, you, and it's just a fun read. But that, that's probably, uh, I would read a lot of books and I'd certainly recommend uh, one or two of his. He's got one, uh, what is it, uh, Rainmaker. That's a, that's a must read for anybody. Awesome. That's James with a net worth of $29.5 million, rounding up to 30 because I know you were there previously. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show today. My pleasure. Nice talking to you. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website, millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.